This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Uh, what we're looking at today is part four of our series called Covenant People. And, and we've been discussing for the last few weeks covenants out of the Bible because it just became very real to me that the majority of Christians don't know what a covenant is. And that's a that's a Bible word. It's a Christian word that we all talk about. And even some people in the world, they may know what a covenant is or they may know the word, but they don't truly know what it is. And so what we've found out so far, I'm going to give you just a brief 30 second recap. We found out that a covenant is not just a contract where you sign a piece of paper and say, hey, I'll do this for you if you'll do this for me. It's more than that, though a covenant could be like a contract because the two sides entering in do make promises to each other. And so we've seen that there's seven big covenants in the Bible that we've looked at. We've seen all the way back to Noah in Genesis 9, the first covenant. God said, hey, I will never again flood the entire earth and destroy all life with a flood again. Has there been floods since then? There's been floods, but there's never been a global flood where all human life died. God kept his word and he said, I will even give you the sign of the rainbow as my promise that I will never do this again. So every time I see a rainbow, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. That's a covenant right there and God has kept his word. Amen. We've seen the covenant of Abraham. We've seen the covenant of David and, and, and Moses. The big covenant in the Old Testament was the Mosaic covenant of Moses. And here we are last week. We've seen our covenant because whether you know it or not right now, if you're a born again Christian, you have a covenant that is in effect and in existence right now. If you're not a born again Christian, you don't have a covenant and we can take care of that today. We can bring you on board. You can be one of us. Amen. Who wants to be like us? All right. Okay. Very. So I'm like, I don't know. You guys are a little bit weird. We're weird, but we're really happy. And so I, I just point that out whenever someone's like, man, y'all are kind of weird and wild over there at a high desert. I'm like, yeah, but we're super happy. We love life. So, you know, just keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. So praise God. But we are under the new covenant. And Jesus came, as we saw last week, and said, I'm making a new covenant. And instead of using a sacrifice of a of a bull or a goat or, you know, or something like that, like they used to use. He said, I'm going to seal this covenant with my own blood. And Jesus was viciously beaten, nailed to a cross, died and rose again and said, hey, there is a new covenant for God and his people. And so what I want to do this week I want to show you some of the benefits that belong to you under your covenant. Who wants to know what rights that you have? I want to know what belongs to me. And, you know, I, I've said it before, but, you know, I, you see, like, a lot of times people that are maybe, they have a contract. You know, there's athletes that they're like, hey, my contract says I don't have to do that. And so they're, they know what their contract is. I see union workers that they're like, well, according to my union contract, I don't have to do that. I don't have to put up with that. And that's a fine thing. That's good. But I know that I have something even better than a Teamsters contract or an NFL contract. I've got a covenant with God Almighty. I know what belongs to me. And when the devil comes and tries to put something in my life that doesn't belong, I hold up the contract and I say, no, I am not going to receive that. I don't have to put up with that. 
Well, what makes you think that? Because I have a covenant with God and I know what my rights are. I know what belongs to me. I know what is in this covenant. And I'm going to show you a few things today in a short amount of time. And this is just a very few things. You need to study your covenant yourself. Well, how would I do that? You would look at the New Testament. Matthew through Revelation. You look in there and you will find page after page after page of things that belong to you. They were paid for by the blood of Jesus. And you have a right to claim those things. They've been paid for. And so last week we kind of saw a little bit about how David fought Goliath. And David knew that he had a covenant. And so David, he faced this giant and everybody was like, man, this stupid kid doesn't have a chance. And David's like, man, that stupid giant doesn't have a chance. Why? The giant had no covenant, but David did. And in your life, when you realize that you have a covenant and the enemy doesn't, you get a little swag. You know what I mean? David had a little swag. He was like, hey, you're not going to mess with me like that. And a Christian that knows they have a covenant, they realize that, man, I'm not the least person in here. I'm not the least. I am. I've got a covenant with God. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You get a little confidence in your step. And it's not because of how good you are. It's because of how good Jesus is. Let's hear it for Jesus this morning. Let's give him some praise. He deserves it. And so as we proceed into this, I'm going to say this. Covenant people are not shocked and surprised when God keeps his end of the deal. I'm always thankful when my prayers get answered. I'm always thankful for the goodness of God, but I am not shocked when God answers my prayers. I expected it to happen. When I was three, I was diagnosed with leukemia, and I almost died. Listen, I was really glad, and my parents, it's a, it's a miracle story. My parents, they knew they had a covenant with God. And listen, when I got healed, when I, I hadn't walked in months, I took off running down the hallways of the children's hospital. Listen, we were thankful. It was awesome, but we weren't shocked and surprised. We expected it to happen. Why? Because we had a covenant with God. The only person that wasn't shocked when David killed Goliath was David. He expected it to happen. Everybody else was like, what? And David's like, I told you, fools, I was going to kill him. You didn't. I told you, if you had listened to me, you would have known. But right now, we're going to look at some things in the Bible that belong to you. And I'm telling you, when you know what belongs to you, you're no longer shocked when it actually happens. Everybody else is like, well, how did that happen? I didn't see that coming. You're like, I saw it coming. I told you guys that I was going to make it through this situation. I told you guys that the battle was the Lord's. I'm not shocked. That it happened. And one last thing that I was just kind of thinking of. I woke up the other morning just thinking about this message. And I'm like, I wonder how many people at church, how many people I know, that they're just absolutely shocked every time they get a paycheck on payday. Like, oh my gosh, it happened again. It's the 15th and there's money in my account again. You're not shocked. You expected it. You're probably thankful, but you had a deal with your company. If you show up and do your job, then they'll put money in your account. And you're not shocked when it actually happens. You expected it. 
you should be no more shocked about God healing you than you are about Fort Irwin giving you a paycheck on payday. Don't tell me you have more confidence in Santa Fe than you do in God Almighty. Don't tell me you've got more confidence and trust in your boss than you do in God. God will come through for you. Just stay calm and cling to the covenant, cling to the promises. Amen. All right, here we go. So we're going to get into the word today. I'm going to pray. And believe it or not, you guys are used to a a three-point sermon. Today, you're getting a six-pointer. You're getting a six-pointer. Now, listen, listen. You're going to have to pay attention because I'm moving fast, buddy, okay? We're going we're gonna to hit this thing with a, some verses and some promises because I'm like, how do you fit a bunch of promises of God into one sermon? Well, you move fast, okay? So let's pray and let's get into this. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, so much that we have a family to belong to, that we are surrounded today by our brothers and our sisters, and we are in our Father's house singing our God's praises and reading his word. Lord, I pray today that as we listen to you, as we open up your word, you will speak to us. You will show us what we need to see. You will challenge us, encourage us, and we will leave here better than when we came in. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, can somebody say amen? All right, here we go. Get those pins ready. Number one, these are benefits of your covenant. There's literally thousands, but I'm going to give you six, okay? You, you're responsible for finding the others. Number one is salvation. Salvation. Who's glad for salvation? (laughs) This is number one. This is the biggest thing. Because of my covenant with Jesus, I don't have to go to hell now. I have, I have no fear of going to hell because I have received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And it's not dependent upon how many good things I do. It's my faith in Jesus Christ. Let's look at the single most famous verse in all the Bible. John 3.16. John 3.16. Amen. And so this is the most famous verse in all of Scripture. If you don't know any other verses, get familiar with this verse. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. John 3 and verse 16, and I've got it in the King James because that's what I memorized it in. For God so loved the world, say it with me, that he gave his only begotten Son, That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's good news. Because I believeth in him. And I'm not going to perish. I'm going to have everlasting life. And when you look at that... Think about the love that God had for you and for me, that he gave his only son to die for our sins. He wasn't like, well, let me get, I've got a hundred sons here. Let me just pick the one that I don't like the most. Uh, Timmy, Timmy, you're going to go die for everybody. No, he had one son and it was Jesus Christ and he sent Jesus to die and pay the price for our sins. I've said it before like this, but imagine you are in a courtroom and there's somebody standing trial and this person, no doubt about it, they're guilty. All the evidence is there. There's witnesses against them. You've got video footage against them. No doubt they're guilty and the judge is getting ready to bring down his sentence and whatever it is, maybe it's a life sentence, whatever it is, and then somebody in the courtroom, the best person there, the cleanest, most innocent person there stands up and says, you know what? Hey, I know he did it, but hear me out. 
give me the punishment instead of him. No doubt he's guilty, but I want to take the punishment. That's what Jesus did, because I was as guilty as they come. You were as guilty as they come, and you and I should have been the ones receiving the punishment for our sins. Amen? I should have been the one getting beaten and hung on a cross, because the only way to pay for sins is the shedding of blood. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. He deserves it, but I'm going to take the punishment instead. And when you realize what Jesus did for you, you know that I've got a covenant with God, and he loves me. The number one most important benefit of your covenant is salvation. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you've done that, that's step number one. Number two is this. Number two is healing. Benefits of your covenant. The second one I'm going to talk about is healing. Now, some people, they don't get a concept of this, and and I realize not everybody believes this, but I'm glad my parents believed it when I had leukemia. I'm glad we believed it when my dad had stage 4 lymphoma a couple years ago. I'm glad we believed in healing, and we knew where to look to. I'm thankful for doctors. I'm thankful for modern medicine and science, and that's really great, and I will utilize those things as needed, but you better bet. If I have sickness come against me, the first place I turn is to Jesus Christ because I have a covenant. A lot of people, the first place they turn is, hey, where's my Aetna card? Where's my, where's my Blue Cross Blue Shield card? Hey, you do you. But the first thing that I turn to is the Word of God because I've got a covenant. I'll use those things, but I'll use Jesus first because he already paid for it. There's not even a copay that I got to pay. Jesus paid it all. Come on, somebody. All right. First Peter 2.24. Can we flip there? First Peter 2.24. And this was the first Bible verse that I ever knew and memorized as a child because my parents and our household, we very, very, very strongly believe that Jesus is the healer. We believe he's the savior. Amen. But he's also the healer. First Peter 2.24. And so, of course, I uh, back then I learned it in the King James. But I'm going to read it to you this morning in the New Living Translation. First Peter 2, verse 24. And you'll notice a, a lot of the things that I'm reading about today. Jesus came and took something bad upon himself so you could have something really good. And so... First Peter 2.24 says, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Well, I don't think that you have a right to claim healing. I've got every right in the word of God to claim healing. By his wounds, I am healed. Think of, that doesn't sound like a very fair deal. He gets beat up, and I get healing out of it? That's not very fair, but Jesus didn't come to try to be fair. Jesus came because the covenant that he paid the way for, this wasn't because it was in his best interest. The covenant is in your best interest. Jesus came to change your life. And a lot of this stuff, I'm like, that doesn't sound fair. You had to take a beating, and then I get healed out of it? He's like, hey, that's fine. I'm good with that. How many of you parents, you've done without sometimes so your kids could do with? 
you've gone without some things you wanted because you wanted your kids to have better. And maybe if someone was like, that's not very fair. You, you, you really wanted this. Hey, it's all right. You know what? I care more about them than I care about me. Jesus cares about you. And this covenant, listen, he took a beating on that cross. He went before the cross. He was shredded limb from limb and he was beaten brutally. Why? Because those wounds paid the price for my healing. Healing is part of the covenant that belongs to us. And so when Jesus asks something of me, I'm like, hey, it's literally the least I could do. There's things in the Bible that I'm like, I don't really feel like doing that. Who cares? He died on a cross for me. He's asking me to go to church. Fine. No, fine. It's literally the least I could do. He's asking me to love my neighbor as myself. I'll do it. If he could go to the cross for me, I could go the extra mile for my brother or sister. If he could go to the cross for me, I could go to church for him. If he could go to the cross for me, there's a lot I can do for him. And it's still an unfair trade. I'm still getting the better end of this deal. Because Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to put up with a whole lot. And Christians need to know that healing is part of the covenant. I was talking to somebody this week that it just broke my heart. They have a loved one that's been diagnosed with something really bad. And it's not looking good. And this person kept telling me, man, I just wish it was God's will. Maybe if it's God's will, he would intervene and do something. I'm like, it is God's will. It is God's will. No, if it be his will, who are we to say what his will is? I can tell you what God's will is. That sounds arrogant. I wouldn't say that. It's not arrogant. He left it in writing right in front of us. It's not presumptuous. It's not arrogant. It's not conceited. He left it right there. Imagine your great-grandfather dies, and the lawyer calls you and is like, well, here's the last will and testament of your grandpa. He left you $250,000 right here. And, you know, whatever. He left you his house. He left you his book collection. He left you his fine teas from China. Like, okay, you know, whatever. Whatever it is that he left you, right? And, and, And so you're like, okay, well, those belong to me. And then somebody says, you're arrogant. Who do you think you are? What makes you think that that belongs to you? Well, it's written right here in the will and testament. This is not that hard to understand. If it's written in the New Testament, I have a right to it so long as I'm serving God. Amen. I have a right to healing. I have a right to salvation because Jesus paid that price. Say this with me. Healing is part of my covenant. Say it again. Healing is part of my covenant. Amen. It belongs to you. And you need to get that revelation in your heart that it belongs to you. And when you do, Satan will try to throw some sickness, but you'll say, no, 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 no. I don't have to put up with that. I've got a covenant right here. By Jesus' wounds, I am healed. And you better believe that. Number three, I'm talking about benefits of the covenant. Number three. Here we go. I'm going to rock the boat. I'm going to shake some people up. Finances. Don't you say that. No, 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 no. Money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. The love of money is the root of all evil. I don't love money. You hear that? I don't love money. But in the New Testament, there's just no arguing around it. There's no way around it. Part of the new covenant, part of what Jesus provided is financial provision for his children. 
And I don't know why you would want to argue against that and say, well, it couldn't mean that. Look with me this morning at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Are you still with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Amen. Who's having a good time? Who's thinking about cake? Don't raise your hand. No, stop. Stop. Okay, all right, all right, we're being honest. Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> so, is pie part of that covenant? I don't know. Maybe. Is it? Okay. Pie? Tell you what. We've got some real winners over here, though. I've been looking. There's, uh, wow. we got some stuff coming our way, people. So, just give me about 15 more minutes, and I'll let you eat some cake. All right? So, Second Corinthians 8. And verse 9, and I think that this is an, an incredible verse, and so just to make sure, just to double check and verify that I was not studying and reading an error, man, I studied this thing backwards and forwards in the original Greek, every word, just to make sure nobody could say that, hey, you, you ain't reading that right, I read every word in Greek, well, you can read Greek, no, but I mean, I know people that can, so, alright, Second Corinthians 8, and verse 9, it says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Why? So that by his poverty he could make you rich. So that by his poverty he could make you rich. Jesus is in heaven living the most... I mean, there's nothing you can even compare to it. He came down to this lowly earth, and it says that that by his poverty, he made you rich. Yeah, it says that, but it's not talking about money. I would like to think that you're right, but the fact of the matter is, no doubt about it, this entire chapter is about the giving of offerings and money. Read the whole thing. Go ahead. But listen to me. It says right here, this word rich, I looked it up because surely that's going to be talking about just a rich spirit, a rich heart, a rich educated mind, you know, whatever the people try to tell you. But listen, that word rich literally talks about and means finances. And, uh, and I, so many people argue against this, but, but the word here is pluteo and it means the actual Greek word means to be wealthy. Increased with goods to have an abundance of outward possessions. And then the final definitions from Strong's Concordance is to be affluent in resources. So listen to me. I don't know why people argue against this. I have no idea why Christians have been told for 2,000 years that God wants his children to be poor, but it's okay if the devil's children have all the resources and have all the finances, but not God's kids. The love of money is, if you love money, you will do evil things. You will stab people in the back. You will lie about them. You will do whatever it takes to fulfill that love. But God's people, if they're God's people, they don't love money. They don't love it. But no doubt about it, God in his word says that Jesus came down and for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. And the word rich right there is talking about resources and finances there's no way around that and 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 christians have such a, so what am i saying that god wants every christian to be rich yes i am what, what? don't say that listen th- does that mean that every christian needs to you know drive a bentley and have a, a mansion on every continent 
No. <laughs> it's not saying that. Does that mean that you need a private jet to fly from here, you know, to Victorville for your community? No. It's not saying that. But what it is saying is that all of your needs should be supplied for. All, even your wants, if they're godly, should be supplied for. It is saying, it's not saying that everybody's going to be a billionaire. It's not saying that everybody needs five houses and a jet and a yacht. It's not saying that. But it is saying that you should have more than enough provision for you and your family. It's not God's will for you and your kids to starve. It's not God's will for your kids to be the only ones that can't go on the school field trip because, well, we serve Jesus kids, so we don't have enough money. But all those kids, their parents are out growing wheat and newberry. They've got enough money. (laughs) Right? Well, Johnny can go because his dad sells crack, but we can't go because we serve Jesus. Do you see how that would warp children's minds? We're like, well, if that's the case, why would I want to go to serve Jesus when I grow up? There's no fun in that. You've got to be poor. No. God's children should be able to to be just as blessed, even more blessed, than all the sinners and the heathen. And you can't convince me otherwise. And so, you know, I, I mean, there's there's Christians that are so against this verse. Another verse for your reference sake, you can write down, is 3 John 2. It says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper well, that couldn't be talking about money. It is. And be in health even as your soul prospers. There's Christians so against this teaching. And again, I'm not teaching extravagance. I'm not saying that everybody needs to be a millionaire and zillionaire. But I am saying that God's children should have more than enough to take care of them and their children and be provided for. That's absolutely part of your covenant. And it is the will of God. There's Christians so against this. That just a month ago, we were setting up for a good transaction to help bless some things. And they found out that they looked at our website and said, hey, you guys preach that God, our website, it literally says that it is God's will to heal people and it is God's will to prosper people. Do you actually believe that? Yeah, I believe it. We aren't going to do business with you. What? These, this, I'm not going to, you know, put someone on blast, but this, this transaction that was going to take place was going to be really, really good. And, and they're like, we aren't doing, you actually believe that the Bible says that God wants people healed and God wants people, uh, to prosper. Yes, it says it, man. It says that. You sure you don't want to, you can, you, here, do you want to take that statement back? No, I don't want to take it back. I stand by that. The Bible says that. And if you don't, if you have trouble believing that, then I guess I don't want to do business with you anyway. But listen, I will stand by this because it's the Bible. And I stand by the word of God. I believe that God wants his children to be healed and healthy. And I believe that God wants his children to be blessed financially. And and that financial blessing is relevant to where you are. You know, one of our great friends, Julius, our missionary to India, you know, out in the jungle of India, you don't, you know, driving an Escalade through the jungle, that's not going to work real well, you know what I mean? But Julius believes this. He went to a village of hundreds of people, got the whole village saved. They all gave their lives to Jesus. Every person in the village, they began prospering. Well, what did that mean for them? That village, they began their little crops began to prosper. They began to grow more more food and vegetables. They got just the right amount of rain. They had more goats than anybody in the area. 
And you may think, well, that's kind of funny. They had more chickens. They had more eggs. And the government of India thought there's no way that this little village is prospering that good. That stupid missionary, he probably bribed them and paid them money to say that they believe in Jesus. So they come and they arrest Julius and throw him into the Indian prison. Why is that? You know, and he made it out, thank God. But why is that? Because this Bible verse doesn't just work in America. This works anywhere. Amen. If I'm going to be a goat farmer in India, I'm going to be the best one there. If I'm going to grow cucumbers in Sweden, I will have the best Swedish cucumbers you have ever seen in your life. Why? Because I will prosper everywhere that I go in the name of Jesus because it's part of my covenant. Amen. Somebody give God praise this morning. Yeah. Say this with me. Financial provision is part of my covenant. Amen. All right, let's keep moving here. Number four, benefits of the covenant. I'm just giving you six. You've got to look the other thousands up yourself. Number four is peace. Peace belongs to the New Testament Christian. It belongs to you. It was paid for. It is yours according to the word of God. And if there's anything I value in this life, I value having peace. Look at John 14, verse 27. John 14 and verse 27. Who's getting excited about what belongs to you? This is not far off distant stuff. This isn't wishful thinking. This straight up belongs to you. You just better believe God's word and stand on it in order to obtain it. So John 14, verse 27, Jesus said, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Now, a few things about this. Notice that Jesus said he's going to give you peace, but it's not something the world can give you. There's way too many people looking to this world for peace. And you turn up empty-handed every single time. Man, I just thought if I got that job, I'd finally have peace. And you don't. Because my peace doesn't come from my job. I just thought if, if this girl would, would, you know, go out with me or this guy, I would finally have peace. And you don't. Because peace does not come from another human being. True peace comes from Jesus Christ. And another thing he said, it's peace for your mind and your heart. The world says, well, there's peace right now. Nobody's fighting. They're talking about physical peace. Jesus said, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about peace for your mind. That's talking about your soul and your emotions. Who would like to have emotional peace? You have every right to that. You have every right to have peace for your emotions. He said, I give you peace for your mind and peace for your heart. That's a straight up gift from Jesus that belongs to you. You need to claim that. You need to reach out and grab that. You need to stand on the word for that. A child of God does not have to be tormented and full of anxiety and stress and depression. Jesus paid the price. You don't have to put up with that anymore. 
In fact, the Apostle Paul put it this way. You can just look at this, Philippians 3, 7. He said, you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Peace for your heart, peace for your mind. It belongs to you. The fifth thing I'm talking about today is this, is joy. You can have joy as a Christian. And it's been paid for and it belongs to you. John 15 verses 10 and 11. John 15 verses 10 and 11. Do you like some of these things that belong to you? I mean, come on. This is, this is straight up gold that belongs to you as a Christian. There's people in this world, they would pay everything they've got to have peace. I don't have to pay for it. Jesus paid for mine. They would give anything they could, that they, they own to just have some joy. I don't have to pay for it. Jesus paid for it. And the joy of the Lord is my strength. Jesus paid for these things and gave them to me when I accepted him. John 15, 10 and 11. He said, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. Look at verse 11. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my what? Joy. Say it again. Joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Jesus said, hey, you obey my commandments just like I obey my father's commandments and your joy will overflow. You have the right to the joy of the Lord. I've had times not having the joy of the Lord, and I've had times having the joy of the Lord, and I can tell you this much, I prefer to have joy over sadness and sorrow and stress any day of the week. Who in here has the joy of the Lord? Amen. You've got it. It belongs to you. The price has been paid, and I'm going to show you one more verse on this topic before I give you number six, and that's Romans 14, verse 17 in the New King James, and you better realize that joy belongs to you. There, I shouldn't, man, I see enough people walking around sad and depressed, doom and gloom. When I was 15 years old, I spent a month in St. Petersburg, Russia, and you haven't lived until you've spent a month in St. Petersburg, Russia. Uh, it's a long story, but anyway, I was there, and I remember every day, every day, we had to take this escalator down, 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 way down to get onto the subway to go do what we were doing. We were doing street evangelism. So we were teenagers on the streets of St. Petersburg, Russia, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, it's a mixed reaction. But anyway, so, so, but I just remember going down on this escalator. It is, I mean, the, the longest thing you've ever been down on. And it's moving like, Three times the speed of our cute little ones at the shopping malls out here. This thing is going. And so I remember as I would be coming up the escalator going down, just seeing thousands of faces and not one smile ever. Nobody that I saw in Russia, nobody had a smile. They wouldn't look you in the eyes. They didn't trust you. Communism for decades has absolutely scarred them to such a point that everybody just looks like this. Nobody ever cracks a smile. And after a while, that weight can get on you. And you're like, man, 
I just feel awful. And, 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 and it's, it's this depression and stress and anxiety because there's no joy. But I've got good news for you, where you live, no matter where you are, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And there's joy. And there's peace. And so I'm telling you, you better value the joy that Jesus provides. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, no, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God right there. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those things belong to me, and I claim them in the name of Jesus. And the sixth thing I'm going to talk about today is this. Number six, as we wind things down, is multi-generational faith. Well, okay, what in the world does that mean? I'm talking about I've got promises from God that if I will serve him and raise my kids to do so, that they will stick with Jesus. Yeah, but I know so-and-so that, that did that and it didn't. I'm not talking about so-and-so. I'm talking about the word of God. Get that through your mind right now. Yeah, I know, but, but, but what about this and what about that and, 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 and over here? I'm not, listen, I don't base my faith off of your circumstances and your experience. I base my faith on the word of God. I'm going to say that again because somebody didn't get that. In fact, about 99% of people in here did not get that. Listen to me. I'm not basing my faith upon my experience or tradition or on your experience or circumstances. My faith is based on the word of God. And if it tells me, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, I claim that in the name of Jesus. Yeah, I, I know. Hey, 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 I get it. It says that. But guess what? I know Brother Bill and he raised, and their kids did, but, 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 shut up. I'm talking about the word of God. I'm not talking about who you know and what I'm talking about, the word of God. And so one reason that we take kids' things so seriously at High Desert Word Center, listen, we put a lot of our money and our resources and our energy and our time not into just preaching to you adults, but in preaching and loving your children. They need it. They need it. And why do we believe all this? Because we've got a covenant with God. My kids don't have to grow up to be alcoholics just because my ancestors were. My kids don't have to grow up to be thieves just because someone else did. My kids don't have to grow up to be like that. They can grow up in the ways of God. Joshua said in Joshua twenty four fifteen, you all do what you're going to do. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's the decision that we've made at the Samples household. And so you can just put this verse on the screen, but Acts 16.31, the Apostle Paul told the, 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 the prison guard, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Amen? Believe, you believe on the Lord Jesus and God's going to do a work in your entire 
household. You need to claim that. Now, I'll say this. All right. The teenagers are getting ready for the cakes. Just ignore them. They're doing their thing. All right. All right. Cakes coming. I swear you're going to get some pie. Shove it in your pie hole here in a few minutes. But listen, listen, follow me on this. You need to hear the word of God right here. You need to hear the word of God. So as a New Testament Christian, you need to have faith in Jesus Christ that you and your household are going to serve Jesus. Every person has to make that decision for themselves. There's an old saying that God has no grandchildren. And that's the truth. He only has children. Why? Because I can't piggyback my way into heaven on my parents' faith. And, well, you know, hey, I'm so-and-so's grandchild, so that makes me your grandchild. Even though I don't live for you, I'm coming on in myself. No. God only has children. But the good thing is, is that anybody is welcome to be a child of God. You just have to call on the name of the Lord yourself. You just have to believe in Jesus Christ for yourself. But the really super good news is that as a Christian parent, if I will serve God myself, if I will teach him to my kids, teach my ways to his kids, I've got tons of promises that when they grow up, they're not going to depart from it. They're going to stick with Jesus themselves. That's my greatest desire in this world. I don't care if I die a billionaire, but my kids don't go to heaven. I was a colossal failure. I don't care if I, you know, die the most famous and, you know, citizen that the high deserts ever produced, but my kids don't make it to heaven. I'm a failure and I did wrong. I cared more about that than I cared about my own house. And that's wrong. Listen. Part of my New Testament covenant is that if I serve God, my whole household is going to end up serving God in the name of Jesus. And so, you know, we just did this kids camp all weekend. We're going to auction off some cakes and pies and cupcakes. It's it's fun. We're going to laugh. We're going to have a good time. But I hope you realize that this isn't about the cakes and the cupcakes. This is about teaching our teenagers to have faith in Jesus Christ. And just because you had some mistakes and some failures when you were their age, they don't have to go through it too. They can believe in Jesus and avoid a bunch of the stuff that we went through. So as I wind it down today, I'm talking about this. You've got a lot of benefits to your New Testament covenant. Tons. I just gave you six because, hey, it's what I did today. But you need to study the New Testament, and you'll find promise after promise after promise. And if you can cling to one of those, it'll change your life. Because when the devil knocks and says, hey, it's going to be a depressed week this week, I'm telling you now, I'm telling you now, you can already sense it. You're going to say, it is not going to be a depressed week. I've got the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Well, you heard that it's going around again. Here's the new wave of sickness. It's not coming to my house. By Jesus' stripes, I have been healed. Let's stand up together today. Can we do that? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.